Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We are here with Dibs Bear. Hello. Hello. Uh, Dibs is an author uh, of an upcoming book called Lady Tigers in the Concrete Jungle, and also a journalist who lives with RA. So Dibs, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start from the very beginning? Can you tell us when and how you first realized that you had rheumatoid arthritis and what it is? Sure. Um, It was about... 10 years ago. Um, and I'd been starting to have really strange aches and pains, like in weird places, my jaw hurt really badly. And it wasn't TMJ or anything. No, it was like, I, it was like, uh, like a, almost like a muscle pull in my Mm -hmm. face. And then I was also having chest pains that weren't like heart attack pain. It was again, like muscle strain, like across my chest. I feel like people with RA always manifest in the chest somehow. Yeah. Everyone I've spoken to, it's usually that's how they catch it. It's really weird. Yeah. And then also the other major problem I had was my foot. Um, I could not have even like the simplest things touch them. Mm. Bed sheets, excruciating. And it got worse and worse over time. And, um, I finally went to the doctor after like putting it off and then they, you know, they, uh, told me it was RA, right. which I knew my grandmother had had. Okay. So it was in the family. Already. It was in the family, but I didn't really know anything about it. Wow. So it wasn't surprising at the time that yeah. I they told me that, but then I had literally no idea what it was. Right. So so you've learned a lot, obviously, because you're writing for Creaky Joints and a lot of other yes. publications that that really talk about these issues. Absolutely. So um, what steps did you take to control your health once you got your diagnosis? Um, I think... Well, the first thing when you get RA is that until you are on your medicine, you can't really do much. Mm. Um, I was in excruciating pain for six months. Right. It takes that long for the medicine to kick in. Wow, six months. It can take that long. It can take anywhere from a few weeks to three to six months. Right. And I remember crying to my dad on the phone saying, I can't take this anymore. And, he's, and, and finally one day it sort of... Like it was almost like the skies opened up, and it was like, oh, I'm I'm feeling normal again. Oh, yeah. So there was really a before and an after. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was a it was a really really hard the period of time between when it's the pain starts and before your medicine kicks in mm. is is really excruciating for a lot of people. Well, especially when you have a diagnosis. I mean, I know that yeah. the, the waiting for a diagnosis is awful, right? Yeah. But then once you have a diagnosis and you're like, yes, I can do something about it, but yeah. waiting six months for this to actually start working. That, right. Yeah. That's got to be emotionally taxing as well as physically. All of it. It's the fatigue. Yeah. It's the pain. It's, it was, uh, it does a number on your head, a number on your body. Yeah. It was, uh, really painful. Um, 
So it wasn't like at first you could, it was all about surviving, honestly, Yeah. really. And then once you started feeling I, like I started feeling normal again, then you, I made some changes to everything else, but right. yeah. it took a while. So sure. it sounds like also, cause you mentioned that you were having that pain in your feet, for example, yeah. that the pain was not just your joints. Like it sounds like it's sort of everything is inflamed, right? Like with yeah. your skin as well. And it, I didn't have a skin issue. Okay. Um, mine was a, a lot of times with RA, it comes in pairs, mm. feet, hands, knees, shoulders, Okay. Some people have all of it. I had hands and feet. Mm-hmm. So my hands were also very tender. Um, and it's it hard to be hard as a writer too. Oh, it's very difficult. Yeah. Like so hard. And also like the, the foot thing was like you walk, there's a nickname for it, the Frankenstein shuffle. Oh, that makes sense. I can picture it in my head when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't walk. I couldn't walk upstairs. I couldn't walk on Inclines or declines, mm. very difficult. Yeah, um, the weight shifts that way and changes the dynamic. Right, and um, it's a really strange pain. I, it's I'm sure like with most chronic illnesses, it's like really hard to put into words what it feels like. Yeah, for people who don't understand it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know a lot of people who have shoulder knee pain, uh, excruciating. There's some burning. You know, there's yeah. it's like a you know a cocktail of uh, painfulness. Of the worst really. pain. Yeah. Yeah, you can imagine, yeah. yeah. I'm glad we can laugh about it now. I know. It's not funny at the time at no, all. But gosh, um yeah. So that was my my main thing were feet and hands. Right. Wow. And it, that's and that that's also like that then impairs your mobility and you have to change your entire lifestyle, I imagine, until the pain is receding thanks to drugs. Yeah. I mean I was in how old was I then? I was like, you know, in my about to turn forty mm. and having trouble going up and down stairs. And what that does to you, like mentally is, you know, is brutal. Yeah. You really feel, you can't believe you're that young and you're, and you don't know that it's ever going to change and get better, you know, when you're first diagnosed, because it does take a while and you think, is this, is this really like, is this it? it?" Uh, And then also, of course. At 40 too. Like that's. Right. And it's actually very common for women in their forties. Like the RA thing is mostly, uh, from what I remember from reading about stuff, it's like Mm -hmm. mostly women. And for women, it it can appear usually in your forties or like much older, like seventies. So I got it right when, you know, that, that when it starts, (laughs) when it starts. Yeah. Some people get it even younger and even older, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are different cases, but most commonly, I think 40 is the age for women. Do you think it's associated with like the onset of menopause or like changes in hormones? I haven't heard anything about that. I, you know, I'm not sure about that, but I don't know either. (laughs) (laughs) I I probably should know that, but no, um, I don't, I think you just need to know about you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's pretty, it's a bummer. And then I remember Googling, you know, when you get a new diagnosis and you Google, Google. (laughs) right. And all the scary things I read, like one of the very first things I read after I got diagnosed was that one third of people with RA die within 10 years, Oh Jesus! which is okay. But that, but you know, what you don't think about further is that you could be, most of those people could be diagnosed when they're 80. Right. 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 So yeah, yeah, that makes sense that they might die within 10 years. (laughs) So I learned a lot of lessons about that, about, about reading stuff, you know, Mm. like really not trying to scare yourself. Yeah. Because especially with this, you know, it does, it could shorten your lifespan for sure. But if you take care of yourself and you're lucky, you can live a long time with RA. So 
And I guess that also has to do with access to care and, yeah. you know, yeah. making sure that you're doing all you can for your wellness, even when you're not at the doctor's office kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that you and I talked about before you came here, and I wanted to talk about in this interview as well, is that you not only live with invisibility when it comes to illness, but also with regard to gender identity. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about your experience of identity and how these these conditions or, you know, states of being have overlapped for you yeah. with the RA and with your own coming out. Okay. So um, I came out as transgender actually around the same time, actually, that I got RA, which is interesting. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through life saying I was a lesbian, which I knew I wasn't. Mm. Um, I knew I was transgender. And then when I was about, how old was I? It was 2012. So that was about seven years ago. I had my breasts removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of went through the coming out process, like re-coming out again, which was weird. Yeah. You know, coming out twice. Yeah. I'd already done it with my parents like 20 years ago. And then I did it again. Was it hard the first time? Um, you know, I was actually very lucky that I have very, uh, progressive, supportive, uh, supportive family. family. So I, you know, it, there was a little, it was a, it, it was not as hard as it is for a lot of people for me. Mm. I actually had a lot of support. So I was very lucky in that sense. But at the same time, coming out as transgender, it still took me another 20 years or almost 20 years to do that. Yeah. Because I was figuring all that out. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then, so, yeah, so I did that. I got my breasts removed in 2012. So you did that pretty immediately after coming out, it sounds like. Uh, I, yes, yeah. I did. Um, I, I mean, obviously it had been in your mind for a long time anyway. And in yeah. Your heart, but I'd gone through like 10 years of therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was finally yeah. ready. Yeah. And I finally was able, and this was again, this is like before Caitlyn Jenner. Okay. It was, it was just right before, before it that. Got, it got more mainstream. If really, you will. if you want to call it mainstream. Well, recognize like, as mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so, it, you know, it was still a little scary. Yeah. a little scarier than it is would even be now, maybe. More uncharted territory. Exactly, yeah. And then, um, and then, so, yeah, all of this kind of happened at the same time, interestingly yeah. enough. I never really thought about that, but... That's, that's got to be a lot emotionally. It is. You were handling and a lot of stress that, that then is compounded in your body's reaction to yeah. stimulus and stress, too. I think that um, it's possible that having RA definitely made me you know, you're thinking about your body a lot. And, you know, as a transgender person who wasn't able to be out, yeah. I did not like looking in the mirror for most of my life. I hated my body. Mm-hmm. And then when you have something like RA, you hate your body even more. Right. And I think I wanted to make, maybe I didn't make that connection, but I think I wanted to be as happy in my body as I possibly could be. So in a way, the RA kind of gave you the freedom to say like, this is, I need to live. I needed, yeah, I need to do this. Yeah. yeah. Which I just, is, that's kind of yeah. an amazing revolution. It is kind of. I mean, it's I never, a gift, really. it, it is a gift, honestly. And it's the best thing I ever did for myself. There's yeah. no question about it. I've never been happier. Mm, good. And, yeah. So, um, never been happier post diagnosis as well. I know, right? I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, in terms of being transgender and having RA, I think we talked about this a little bit that for me, it's hard because I still go by legally, my name is Deborah, mm. but I go by Dibs. Everyone in my life, calls me dibs. Yeah, it's this this is what you were mentioning about the dead name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If um some people call it the dead name. Um and so legally I'm Deborah, so when I have a million doctors appointments, everyone calls me Deborah. Yeah. And I just, you know, one doctor the other day called me Tibbs instead of Dibs and I was like, that's fine, I'll take that over Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call me Tibbs, that's yeah. fine. Um but uh 
So that's been a little difficult, and it is making me kind of go. I think I better legally change my name. Um, yeah. Well, and are you gonna? Are you thinking about also not just changing your name, but your gender marker as well? You know, I I don't. I haven't decided that yet. You know, there's a part of me that like I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, mm. but there's a part of me that's like, do I want to register as this with what's going on in the, in the world right now? I actually don't think that's a bad way of thinking about it. I think that's really circumspect. It's intelligent. Yeah. I mean. I, I'm still, I think it's interesting. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm comfortable with. Like, I don't, I'm not on testosterone. Right. I decided not to do that. Mm. Um, You're really just doing you. I'm, yeah, I'm just doing me. And, um, but yeah, in terms of, uh, the doctor's appointments and things like that, I definitely, you know, I have a giant scar across my chest. Mm -hmm. Um, and luckily, like with RA appointments, I'm not having to, like, like take your shirt off. Yeah. I'm not having, I don't have to get in robes a lot and Mm -hmm. things like that. So, um, but it's more like appointments, like the dermatologist or something. Right. Where, you know. Going for that annual check yeah. or whatever. But yeah. there are always random appointments for things related to RA. Yeah. That, you know, it, it is a little fraught. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, is that the kind of thing where it would make things more comfortable for you if maybe the techs or the nurses even just said to you, are you comfortable with removing your shirt? Because it sounds like yeah. you're not necessarily comfortable showing your scars. I'm not actually, you know, I'm, I'm really not. And I think it's that I'm worried that people aren't accepting of it. Mm. Um, Have people not been in the past? Is that where that worry comes from? I haven't, you know, like when I was at the dermatologist's office and there were, you know, they have like three people in the room and I was not expecting it. I went in for something random and they're like, Oh, you haven't been here in a while. Let's do the whole full body thing. And I was like, which is smart to do. I mean, we live in California too. So like, that's a smart thing to do because we're out in the sun all the time. Totally. And I, and then I, but then I like literally had like a panic attack because there are three strangers. I don't know if they're accepting of it. Yeah. And you know, um, and, and in a way also just in terms of patient doctor relationships or, or relationships with any of our caregivers, it's kind of not for anyone to pass judgment at all. And, yeah. you know, so in a right. sense, it's, it's, it's really that projection of, of fear. It sounds like, because, yeah, you know, certainly in the wider world, you can be met with disagreement or people who, who don't believe in, in being transgender or anything like that. But, which by the way, we fully endorse yeah. believing it. <laughs> yeah. Not endorse disbelieving what people tell you they are and who they tell you they are. Right. Um, but, you know, like that there can be that fear with anyone who's new, who you don't know. And there's got to be a way to sort of bridge that gap as well with caregivers, right? Where like there's some kind of statement that we make every time that's like, hey, we want you to be comfortable, you know, like yeah. that's not even a discussion that's happening no. before you're asked to disrobe is kind of weird. I mean, yeah, I, it doesn't happen to me. No one asks me if I'm comfortable, but they just throw you the robe. But it would be so much better if people just said to you like, Hey, are you comfortable with this? Totally. And it's funny because the airports are doing it now. Um, well, I have, in terms of pat downs and stuff. Yeah. I get, I get stopped every time because I have a scar here that shows up on the x-rays every time. Oh, on that, the 3d mm-hmm. x-ray. Yep. Oh. So I get, and, and just recently they've started asking me what gender TSA agent I want to pat me down. Interesting. Yeah. And, but they do it really nicely. Okay. So that's I, not asking you what your gender is. It's no, saying who would you prefer. They are very. They've been very polite about it, that's um, and that's very new. But um, yeah, it's not like when I go to the, you know, no one's saying that at the doctor's office. Yeah, um, and that's got to be tough because it's like you're already dealing with your own insecurities. Yeah, you know, 
Um, even though you've made huge leaps forward in terms of like self-acceptance and like right. being who you are in the world, but to be dealing with your own concerns and worries that other people will judge you. Yeah. And then also having, so that's already like one invisible problem that's then causing emotional stress. Yeah. And then having RA. Right. Yeah. And living with a condition that's like physically draining and wearing you down. Like these two things are. Yeah. Very much, very simpatico in a way. I would, yeah, I would say so for sure. Yeah. No question. I will say that my, I love my RA doctor. That's great. He's and, very and it's accepting. A, a rheumatologist, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. He's a rheumatologist. He's great. I have so a really you've good always one. felt comfortable with him. I feel really comfortable with him. That's really good. I mean, in a way, sometimes it's also just rapport, isn't it? Yeah. With your doctors. It's like sometimes you get along with them and sometimes you don't. And it's so crucial. Yeah. Right? I mean, but that's a really important point. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like, in this world of invisible illness or any kind of invisible state of being, right? It's it's something where we really have to find the caregivers who we feel comfortable with. Right. And don't make you feel like you're like invisible, yeah. that yeah. you don't matter. Yeah. I, and I think like front office is really important, mm-hmm. you know? Because like, that's the first thing you see about the doctor is right. the people who are sitting behind the desk. And with RA, like, you know because I get infusions for Remicade. Right. So I am there. Like I, these are people that I see every eight weeks mm-hmm. and spend three hours with. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that you like them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a relationship, Yeah. you know, and it's going to be one. I don't think I'm going to stop doing that anytime soon, unless I have some weird side effect. Right. So, yeah. but, uh, and that's not the only thing that you're getting in infusions anyway, because there's a few different things, right? Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little about the medications? Okay. So I take methotrexate. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, I, and this is one that we were talking about. That's, that's like, it is chemo, a form of chemotherapy. Yes, they but, have, it is a cancer drug and people get really freaked out about it, but it's actually way, way less of a dose than cancer patients. It's used for like breast cancer treatment, mm-hmm. but in RA, at a much lower dose, it has a different effect on the body. You were saying it's like one fiftieth of yes, what the yes. dose would be for cancer. People get freaked out, and like I've written articles about it, mm. and well, which we'll link to on the yeah episode page for sure. And, and people should know that that um, yes, it is a cancer drug. But my, as my doctor explained to me, it's like the difference of swimming in a pool and drinking a glass of water. Mm. They are the both they're both water, yeah. but they're di- completely different. Yeah amounts yeah <laughs> right and that's a very different amount yeah it's a very different amount but that's yeah. the, that's the analogy that he used yeah. about it mm-hmm. um and that methotrexate has actually been tested on you know has been researched and tested on millions and millions of people yeah for a really long time yep it's, it's very safe a long time very safe and, and very it's effective helped you. that's the thing it's helped you yeah i mean you know people like i i admit that when i first got diagnosed i didn't you know there's that fear like oh my god i can't believe i have to take a a medicine for the rest of my life. I'm so young. Mm. And what is this going to do to me? But then you start feeling better and you're like, no problem. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Give it to me. Give me more. <laughs> give uh, me the drugs. <laughs> yeah. Give me the drugs. No, a lot of people like, you know, I'm in a lot of uh, Facebook groups mm-hmm. for RA and for psoriatic arthritis and for ankylosing spondylitis. Yep. Because uh, they're all related to each other. And one of the most common things that comes up is I don't want to take my medicine. I don't want to take methotrexate and people wanting to do, you know, alternative things to it. And that's, you know, everybody can do whatever they want, but if you let RA go, it's systemic. It's, you are going to not only maybe permanently damage your body, but your organs can shut down. Wow. So it's a question of what kind of quality of life do you want now? 
Um, and everybody has to make their own decision about it. And it sounds like you really chose to live your life in many ways, right? Yeah, I did. So you're taking, you have the infusions of the Remicade and yeah. the methotrexate. What yep. else do you um, take? I take folic acid, which okay. everybody gets when they take methotrexate, and that's to minimize some of the side effects that could happen, like hair loss. Okay. I haven't had that. No, I have got a, a full head of hair. I've got a gigantic full head of hair. <laughs> um, it's, I think it helps with uh, like nausea and stuff like that. Sure. And with... I believe, and I mean, we should check this, but like yeah. bone marrow, I think, Density. making sure, maybe, okay. let me check. I can't remember. Yeah. No, we'll but there are that. some important things that it does. Yeah. Um, so you take that one pill of that every day. And then I personally, I'm on levothyroxine. That's right. Which, cause yeah. your rheumatologist, when you first met him, yeah. was like, oh, you're dealing with fatigue and you're dealing with these other symptoms. Yeah. So let's test your thyroid, which was a really smart thing to do. Right. And found out that you have hypothyroidism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And I, I was asking you before we hit record too, I was like, was the levothyroxine alone enough for you? Did you feel the difference? And you said yes, which is, absolutely. it's so great to hear because, you know, it's like the 50-50 in this hypothyroidism community, whether people need the T3, T4 combo or whether you're good on just the T4 or the levothyroxine. And it's great to hear that you're functioning well on that. I am functioning well, but then, then I'm like, I didn't even know that you could do the other thing. So maybe I should ask. I don't know. Yeah. You know I, mean, I don't a, know. That's the thing. It's also about like just knowing and asking, but it sounds like you felt a difference with the Levo. Yeah. If you hadn't, yeah. then that would be the next step. I, I, before I was on it, I literally would think about walking my dog around the block and I was like, oh, can I make it? Yeah. Like that's how exhausted I was. I used to have to sit down for a few hours after a shower. That oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because it was just like, or, you know, literally just a nap after a shower because it can be just so exhausting. Yeah. I still take a lot of naps. I'm not going to lie. Naps are the best. I take, I, I, I've mastered the power nap in the afternoon, about 30 minutes. How do you do? I don't, I don't know. This is like, I just, this is the one thing I've never been able to do is a power nap because once I'm out, I'm out for a few hours. I don't know how I did it, but I did it and it's 30 minutes. It's amazing. Can you set a clock? Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm it doesn't, that. it won't work. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I, how I did it, but I did manage to get it. Like I can, I can be out hardcore on the couch, not in my bed. That's a that's a big difference too. Yeah. Yeah, and just like a little. I mean, everybody else in the world takes siesta. Yeah. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. And I think it is. I find it rejuvenating. Totally. But I know that a lot of people can't. No, but do I that, think but, that's. Yeah. I, I bow down to you. <laughs> Your napping skills. Thank you. <laughs> so, did you find that you ever needed an advocate in this? in this road to diagnosis, to treatment, um, did you ever find that you like leaned on your friends and family or brought people to appointments with you? Or did you really become your own advocate with your doctors? I think I became my own advocate, but I think I'm used to doing things on my own. I've always been a very independent person though. I was like single most of my life. Yep. Um, and my family lived in other cities. Okay. So So you're used to being independent. Yeah. I'm used to being independent. So it was about figuring it all out kind of on my own, mm. um, making sure I had good care, yeah, making sure I took care of myself, well, which that, I didn't do for a long time. Sure. And do you, you know, think that getting the diagnosis made you change everything around and start taking better care of yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, there's no proof whatsoever scientifically mm-hmm. that smoking causes RA. There's well, a link. It causes bad things. Regardless. It causes bad things. I smoked a lot for mm. uh, 20 years. And I quit when I had my surgery. Okay. Because they said I had been wanting to quit. Um, And it gave me an excuse. It gave me an excuse, and it was the right, like, you know, you're not, when you're healing from that surgery, the last thing you can do is go smoke a cigarette. (laughs) So it was like the perfect time for to get out of my system and all that. But um, 
looking back on it now, I really, really regret smoking mm. because I really think it might have triggered my RA. Do you think if you hadn't smoked, maybe you wouldn't? You know, my grandmother had it. I don't know. You know, something else interesting, mm. and this is, I don't know if this is too off topic, but um, I lived in New York City on 9-11. And uh-huh. I lived in Brooklyn Heights, which is the neighborhood right across the bridge. Yeah, right across the river there. Yes. Yeah. And I've been reading, um, I just read an article that there's a high prevalence of RA in first responders, people who worked at the site wow. afterwards and in my neighborhood, who who are pre-genetically disposed. And I am because of my grandmother. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking about related. getting into that study or just like, you know, telling them that I lived there for six years after 9-11. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I mean, I don't we know. Are, we're recording on nine twelve. Right. Yesterday was nine eleven, and it was the eighteenth anniversary. Yes. Which I can't believe. I can't can't believe it either. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, so yeah, that could very well be related. I I don't know. You know, I mean, I think it was a couple things. I mean, it, who knows? Well, this who is knows? the thing with all of these illnesses, right? Is yeah, that we know that there are risk factors or. Um, you know, certain behaviors that, that can trigger. Yes. But it's often not just one thing. I mean, right. if it were just one thing, nobody would be doing it. Right. And if they knew it, everybody would stop it. And, exactly. Yeah. Although we say that of smoking and people do it anyway. <laughs> That's very true. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. But no. then, you know, everyone always has a story of like a grandfather who lived until yeah. he was like 103. No, it's true. Actually, I have my best friend's dad mm. has RA Mom. and he's 87 years old and he smokes like a chimney. Wow. He smokes Marlboro Reds, at least a pack a day still. Whew. That's going to be also the worst cigarettes you could possibly smoke. I, I know, right? <laughs> I know. But um, yeah, I, I definitely, like people say, like, oh, do you, I don't have any regrets. I have regrets. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, would I have gotten RA anyway because of my grandmother and the gene? Yeah. Possibly. But smoking, if anyone's out there listening, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. It's horrible. I it was a waste advice. of life for yeah. so long. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But do, I mean, there are a million other things there too. It's like diet and exercise yeah. and, and just lifestyle, like living in Brooklyn Heights. It's like, right. you know, those are things you can't regret, you know? No, I don't regret yeah. that at all. And I'm but. sure also the things that you gained post-diagnosis, it sounds yes. like it's, it was worth the trials and tribulations. And I would say so. I mean, so I used to be a three sport athlete in high school. Wow. Um, very, very athletic. And since I have had RA, there are a lot of things I can't do anymore. Mm, that's I can't, frustrating. I can't run. I can't jump. I can't play tennis anymore. Mm. Like things that I really love. But on the good side of that is that sometimes these things force you to find new interests and hobbies. Absolutely. And so now I hike a lot. I, mm. I, you know, I, I can walk for an hour and 15 minutes. That's my cutoff. That's right. And no, then my foot good. starts hurting. Right. Um, I do hit classes, you know, the high interval training, because wow. you can do a lot of those things don't involve running or jumping that's and they can really modify. Good. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So I become like a gym rat, which I hated the gym before. <laughs> and now I love the gym. That's great. So, you know, like you just have to, I mean, it's, most it, things change over time too, like our interests and yeah. like you might've gotten into hiking anyway, because you moved to California and you right. wanted to be in the great outdoors, you know, it's possible. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, I just think like for all the horrible things we go through, sometimes there are good things that come out of it. Mm. And I try to always think about that, you know? Yeah. There are definitely, Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's the good and the bad. It's like, you can't have the flowers without the rain. Right. Right. Totally. So, um, what does a typical day look like for you now? Are you aware of managing your symptoms or has it become kind of second nature? 
Um, I, I would say I'm aware mm. because every day they're, you know, it could be literally the moment I wake up walking to the bathroom. Mm. I know what kind of day it's going to be because RA comes and goes, you know, you, so get, you get flares. remitting kind of or flaring. Yeah. You flare. And um, so I can tell really by stepping out of bed, what kind of day it's going to be. Okay. Um, when I walk my dogs, is it, does it feel like torture to get up the block and back? Sure. Uh, so it just, every day is different really. And you're making adjustments accordingly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are um, they big adjustments? Like, does it make a huge difference on a day when you're having a flare and when you're not having a flare? I guess. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it can definitely like, change your day. Mm. Um, you know, it's hard to, it sounds like you've got like a rhythm down though. Yeah. You haven't, it's not like disrupting the way you're structuring your time. No, it's not. You would have in the beginning. No, in the beginning it definitely did. And I I will say that, you know, I moved from New York city to California Mm. and now I'm driving. Could I still live in New York city with my RA where it's at? I don't think I could anymore. Mm. Because what you have to like go up and down the subway stairs and, and you have to stand on the subway, which is tough, especially because people can't see. It's not right. like you're walking around with a walker or a exactly, cane. totally. Yeah, uh, the few times like ever, I go to New York a couple times a year, mm. and by the end of the week, I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, I don't know how I did this when I lived yeah. there because it's so hard on your body. Oh God, I'm going next month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dreading it. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's wonderful, but like. Those are the days you call a cab. <laughs> right. You a lot of Ubering and a lot of cabs. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a hard city on if you have like a chronic illness like RA, like it's yeah. brutal. It's interesting because I've I've interviewed a few people from the UK and London specifically. Um, and they've got a program there where you can get these badges that say, please offer me a seat, like oh. these blue buttons that you wear, and they're pretty noticeable. Yeah. Um and it's really interesting that they have something like that. They don't have that in every city in the UK. They only have it in London. I love that. I, isn't it wonderful? And it's yeah. free so that anyone who has an invisible illness can make it more visible to people. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. The right now it's like yeah. if you're pregnant or elderly is when you're offered a seat. Right? Totally. If, if people are feeling that generous. <laughs> a lot of uh, the conversations in the RA community are about handicap mm-hmm. parking spots. Because people get yelled at a lot. People don't know. Oh, I hear stories like that all the time. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Um, and it's it's a real it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, or riding in carts at the grocery store and people give them dirty like, why are you are you fooling around? Like what are you doing? As if it's anyone's business in the right. first place. But yeah, the handicap parking spot thing is a real issue. But speaking of all of this stuff, you know, you talked about how you're very aware of your rhythm now. How are you, I mean, I know you've mastered the power nap, yeah. but how are you balancing the demands of work and life as you live with this invisible condition? Is it yeah. an uphill battle a lot of the time? It is. I think that, uh, well, first of all, since I write, I write from home now. Mm. Honestly, there are days where I think, I don't even know if I would be able to have an office job. Mm. Yeah. It's, and I really feel for people who have this and have flares and have to actually commute, show up. Show up be present. Mm-hmm. Which takes um, so much. People don't realize how much energy it takes to just be in the room. It's really difficult. And, yeah. you know, a lot of, there's a lot of side effects. You know, there's like bathroom issues. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stomach problems and gastrointestinal things. That's a side effect of uh, methotrexate. Yeah. Methotrexate, the Remcate, all of it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, in terms of uh, having to go to a doctor's appointments. If I had a like a, a regular job in an office... Mm. Are they going to let you 
take off three hours to go do your infusion every eight weeks. I mean, they have to technically. Yeah. But, but they could take it out of your holiday time. And then when do you actually rest? Yeah. They're not even allowed to do that. I don't think. Oh, wow. I I mean, there's, you know, um, I just did an article for the muse. Okay. On, um, another article we post. Yeah. Uh, when to disclose your, your chronic illness at work Mm. and how, should you? How? Well, that comes up a yeah. lot, right? Because I think most people, I mean, you're not going to disclose it in an interview, right? Like, because you don't have to legally. Most people don't. No. And you don't have to legally, right? No. Yeah. But it's interesting. I had someone on the show who's a type 1 diabetic. Yeah. And he said to me um, that he didn't disclose right away with his coworkers, um, but eventually he ended up doing it because they were on some kind of retreat and he became closer with people, but it really depends on what your relationship is like with people. Now that's sort of the case, but it shouldn't depend on what your relationship is like. You know, there should be some kind of loophole where legally you're allowed to disclose this information once you're hired so that people can at least be aware because someone with type one, you might have to, you know, perform CPR or, or, you know, perform some kind of emergency service before emergency services arrives. Right. And you need to know what to do. Yeah. You know, so if there were at least like a health liaison at every corporation or something. That would be nice. Yeah. Who's, yeah, who's going to do that? No, I know. There's HR, <laughs> but like, you know. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. There's so many, you're dealing with so many things. You're dealing with pain. You're dealing with um, relationships that are affected by this. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with the work stuff. There is so much. There's so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, like. And if you're working a nine to five job as well, in a way, your body's not going to necessarily be able to keep up with you, is it? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I really, I feel fortunate in a way that I can work from home. Yeah. Because I don't know how I would do it. Because mm-hmm. I do have so much fatigue. Yeah. I have same gastrointestinal issues. Like, all of it. It's yeah, just... You want to be near the comforts of home, too. And it's right. like, at home, you can also set yourself up for success, right? Yeah. Like, I have my ice packs and my heat packs where I need right. them. I have the toilet there if I yeah. need it. I right. have my bed to flop into. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, you have all your medications if you need to, like, take a little extra of something for pain or whatever. Right, you exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think fatigue is probably my biggest issue because of the Remicade. Um, okay, so after, that's a side effect. That's a major side effect. Like, uh, the couple, like, I would say the week after you get it done, mm. you are bone tired. Mm. I mean, like... Like exhausted. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. This is the distinction, right? That we make a lot on the show to make it clear to people who aren't Spoonies, aren't part of this community, that like fatigue is different from just being real tired or having a a rough week. Right. It's like you can't function. Like your brain stops working as well as your body. Right. Totally. Yeah. So it's, that's one, you know, a lot of people actually do take those days off of work. Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to do anything. So it's definitely, it affects a lot, you know, of yeah. your daily life for sure. 
Absolutely. I would say for the most part, I'm okay. I mean, I'm functioning. I'm I'm doing mostly everything I, I need to. It's just that uh, every once in a while I'll have a flare. Right. Or the side effects of my infusion, right. which takes you out for a couple of days. But at least you can also plan for that, right? Like when yes. you have your infusions, you know for a couple of days you're going to be a little... Yep more rough around the edges. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's also like, that sucks. Yeah. You know, that like the medication that makes you feel better also makes you feel kind of crappy in some ways too. Yeah, for sure. But I, I mean, suppose the fatigue's better than the pain. The fatigue lasts a couple days. The infusion lasts about six, seven weeks. Mm. So you have six, seven weeks of feeling pretty decent. And then the, the week before you get it again, you're, you're hurting. Right. You, you kind of can't wait. Right. To get it again. Is there so. a reason why they are they don't do it like a week earlier or something um, that your body's not supposed to have? Like yeah, I don't I don't know the exact particulars of it. So but I'm sure some, everyone's dosed differently. Everyone, too. yeah. Well, I think some of the medicines have uh, doses that are recommended by the manufacturer. Sure. Um, and then there are certain, there are different infusions. Like I'm on Remicade, but there's like, you know. Humira and sure, you know, so those all it just depends, right? Some infusions you do for a half an hour, right. um, which is a lot quicker, right? My infusion takes two to three hours, right? You know, and it depends on your body weight, and there's all sorts of different things that that go with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, but you know, like if you miss, you can't miss. That's the other thing. Well, you have, then you have to do a loading. Missed, you'd probably be in pain anyway. You'd be in pain, but then also you, then you have to reload. Okay. So then you have to do it every couple weeks for a while until it reloads. Oh, well, that's frustrating. Yeah. So you've got to plan your life around that. You do. Like, it, you can't it, go on a long holiday to Europe. <laughs> no. And I've had to do it a couple of times where mm-hmm. like, you know, life gets busy. Yep. But you have to, like, they're very strict about it. Like every eight weeks, you've got to go within that window, mm. you know. And you're also obviously very aware of that now as well, sort of planning your life out and going right. like, okay, I need to just make sure yeah. I make myself available Yeah. for that. It's a so lot of time. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's it a, is lot a lot of effort. Of, and that's a lot of mental energy that you then yeah. put into the planning. And all of these things take a toll on our bodies too. Right. Yeah. For sure. So we were talking about, you know, like when you take a disabled parking space and things like that and judgment from others, how often are you confronted and, and forced to justify your RA to other people? Have mm. you had any like interesting anecdotes about that that have been difficult or frustrating or learning experiences for you? Yeah. I mean, it happens a lot, actually. I can, one funny example I can think of right off the top of my head is, uh, shaking hands with people. Interesting. Um, I do not enjoy shaking hands with people. That's so funny. Cause you went to shake. I did. Well, I'm feeling like, hug me. I know. Thank you for the hug. Um, You're welcome. Uh, it's well, women don't tend, tend to crush your hand like a man true. does. True. But, uh, yeah, you know, if I'm if my hands are hurting, which is frequent, I mean, you can kind of see. I mean, maybe a little bit that they're a little bit puffy. Oh yeah, you get like inflamed. Like I get inflamed, and um, some days, like you know, it's there's an, a shame or an embarrassment to mm-hmm. someone wanting to shake your hand and you being like, you don't want to explain that. Yeah, that happens to me constantly. Where I'm just like, and then I just stick my hand out and just okay, it's it's gonna hurt. Yeah, and I'll be fine in like five seconds afterwards. My thing is, you know, who does that all the time is casting directors actually oh and i learned this when i was an actor because i would go to auditions and go to shake their hand and they shake so many people's hands and they didn't want to get sick this uh, was in new york right um that they would just go germs oh <laughs> so a lot of people use the germs excuse right <laughs> but then that also makes you look like a hypochondriac. it kind of makes you look like a jerk yeah. i guess right 
I don't know. <laughs> Truly, I think it does. I would just rather take the crush. Just crush yeah. my hand. I'll be fine. Now, but that's interesting because that's a mindset thing. Do yeah. you think, you know, if you were someone else that maybe you would go like, well, no, I'm not going to put up with that crushing of my hand. Yeah. No, a lot of people don't yeah. actually. Yeah. And they, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, planning ahead you have to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like to have, like you really sometimes think about what you're going to say to people a lot in different situations. To create accommodations for yourself. Yeah, yeah totally. Absolutely. Um, the hand one I've kind of let go. I mean, it's just like, whatever, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I'll get through it. Um, I'm glad I hugged you instead. <laughs> I know. I, I like hugging anyway. Um, Good. I went, for a minute, I was like, maybe, maybe Tibbs isn't a hugger. And then I was like, no, no. We hug here. <laughs> yeah, good. I like, yeah. Um, so that's one that's kind of like, you know, but there are like other ones where, um, you know, I, I can't, I think I mentioned before, I can't walk for a long time. Yeah. There are certain things I can't do. Mm. Um, and having to explain that to people who don't get it is, is hard. Yeah. Really hard and embarrassing and, I, actually, my girlfriend and I, when we were first dating, mm. it was really difficult because she's a lot younger than I am. Mm. And so she's more active, too. <laughs> Very, yeah, for sure. And she's yeah. really great about this, but she still didn't really get it at the beginning. And when I t- when I would say to her, we'd go to like a vacation, mm. and I'd say, I can only walk for an hour. Mm. Um, and an hour into it, we're nowhere near where we need to be, you know, for like sightseeing. Yeah. And it caused a lot of like huge fights. Yeah. Um, well, cause also by the time that you're starting to feel pain, it's also, it gets harder to communicate when you're dealing with physical yeah, stress, right? You know, like your brain starts to shut down when your body's screaming at you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That and, makes a lot of sense. And it took me a long time to really just put my foot down and be like, I cannot do this and not push myself to do things because I was embarrassed or wanted to make someone else happy or yeah. I definitely, I definitely have moments where I you know, I'm walking like Frankenstein mm. and I don't know what people think, you know, I don't well, know. It's, it's good not to even worry about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> not thinking about it. Yeah. I'm not even going to let you go there. So in what way do you think that the health system is working for patients, especially in your experience? And in what way do you think it falls short or might require improvement? Yeah. That's a big question. It is a big question. Um, I think that I pay a ton of money for my insurance per yeah. month. I'm I'm fortunate to be able to do it. Mm. Without it, I would be, you know, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, and even with that, you know, I have great insurance, but it's still, and I get great care, but, um, you know, I don't know why, for some reason, my Remicade infusions are subsidized by the drug company. And I know that's not the same for everybody. I don't know why mine is. It's certain medications. They have different agreements, I think, with various yeah. insurance companies. But it's good right. because it means that you get that covered. I am getting I am getting these infusions. Like They give me a credit card that gets $20,000 a year on it. Well, and not for, just, for that. They, they, not to buy, like, shoes. Yeah, no, or, they just yeah. give you $20,000 to cover it. So that's where right. they're just paying themselves back. Right. I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, like, put in some sort of research... Thing? No, I think you know that. You'd have to sign your rights away if that were the case. Do I ever read any of that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I have That's no also idea. That's thing about it, isn't it? It's like we're given so many things to read, and how are we to be expected to like take everything in when we have more and more complicated health conditions? They send me a thing, mm. you know, in the mail that with writing about this big. Yeah. Have I ever read any of it? No, I'm just mm. grateful 
that I don't have to pay anything for these. These infusions are crazy expensive. Mm. And I know that not everybody gets them Mm. for free. I'm getting them not for free because I pay, I'll just say I pay right now. My insurance is $950 a month. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But here's the thing. I figured out if I did any other plan. Yeah. That spending more, I would be spending well the same amount, but I would just be like I would be owing everybody, mm. you know, and I didn't want to get in trouble with that. Yeah, sure. So better to have a, a monthly payment up front, mm. and then everything's taken care of. And my my medicine is very cheap because mm. of that. That's good. I pay literally like five dollars a month for my methotrexate, wow. and I don't pay for the Remicade infusions. I don't. Again, I don't know why. I'm not going to ask anybody because yeah. I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> just accept it and move on. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So I have had a good experience in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a bad experience in the sense of, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, that it takes forever to get relief. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens with you, but this hap- it, it's by the time you get diagnosed or you get an MRI or you get this and that, even this neck thing I just went through, this it's disc thing, disc, it yeah. took six to seven weeks for me to get relief. And I was in level 10 pain. Because you had to be tested for various things before anyone would medicate you? No, it took it took that long to get the appointment, mm. to get the MRI, get the results back, then go to the pain doctor. Right. Then get the, by the time they could schedule me in for the shots, yeah. you're talking six to seven weeks of level 10 pain. And that's, nobody should have to live like no that. No one should. And, but people are doing that all the time. And yeah. I think more people like with RA and... Uh, PSA and AS, they are, that is what they're going through. Mm. And they are not maybe, I mean, you know. It's even people with insulin, the way they like eke out medications and stuff. Right. Yeah. You know. So I think that's been my experience that I'm getting, I'm getting great care on the one hand, but I think that the system obviously is like not helping everybody equally for sure. And for what you're paying, you should (sighs) be getting seen right away too. You should be priority, right? But then it's also like, okay. There are all these other people waiting for appointments. Seeing a specialist, I think, is the hardest thing because yeah. you always wait months. Like I always right. know, I have to make my dermatologist and OB appointments. Yeah, several months to a year in advance. Right. And so, what happens if you're in excruciating pain at the moment, which is what just happened to me? Yeah. And you have to, it literally, and then and then oh, so I didn't even include like getting the shots approved by your insurance company. Which I'm paying nine hundred fifty dollars a month. You better approve that, and you better do it like in ten minutes. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't work. But it doesn't work like that. Everything's a pile of paperwork, and it goes through the system. Yeah, takes time. Yeah, that's frustrating. So I've had like I've had good and bad. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like I have found a really good rheumatologist. Yeah, and I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's I'm broke. I mean, you know, when you when yeah. right off the bat, you got to find a thousand dollars a month to make sure you can walk. Yeah, that's pretty upsetting. Yeah, uh, it's I hard agree. to get ahead in life when you are, you know, yeah, when that's happening. And so I feel for people because not everybody has that money. Yeah, or Absolutely. you know, it's like it's so heartbreaking to me, honestly. And I feel very grateful, and I'm knocking on wood right now. Yeah, I'm knocking on. Yeah, knock on wood. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm wondering, are there ways in which you could see the health system improving that are actionable, you know? That's, I mean... Again, another huge question. I know. Like, are we, are we, we talking about... We were just talking about, we're going to start lobbying people. I, I know, right? <laughs> okay, now I'm an insurance expert. Yes. Um, no, well, I mean, you know, do I believe in Medicare for all? Is that the question, basically? Well, not necessarily. Like, are there little tweaks that you could see that, like, different practices could make or insurance companies could make that would, like, yeah. make healthcare more accessible or 
easier for everyone, you know? I mean, it just seems like such a huge deal. It's such a huge undertaking. Like, uh, but you know, I will say this, my girlfriend lives in uh, England Mm. and I see her healthcare system and she's on the NHS, which is all subsidized by the government. Yeah. But it's also terrible. It's terrible, but it's free. (laughs) But you know what though? She, to get an appointment, she has to sit on the phone all morning and keep calling because the line's busy. Yeah. Uh, and then she had like something like a little surgery on her lip or something. Mm. And they like killed the nerve and now she can't feel it. You know, it's not the same yeah. care as here. They don't get mental health care there. No. They Like if she wanted to go see a therapist, You they give you like three appointments and then they're like, okay, you're done. Mm. It's not good. I mean, I so, wonder if like even here, like maybe an actionable solution is like private practices, for example, just even being able to say when they're making appointments saying sort of on a scale of one to 10, how urgent is this? Yeah. Like just asking that question and being able to prioritize people who say it's urgent. Of course there would be people who would take advantage of that, but um, there are people who take advantage of all different things. I will say I did try that thing. My insurance company has the, uh, like if you have a cold, Mm -hmm. you talk to the, like tell a, yeah, I love that. Yeah. That was really good. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think... So that's already an improvement that's happening. Yeah. So I like that a lot because yeah. it's like, okay, what you have to wait like to get into the doctor's appointment, go show up so that they can prescribe you like... Antibiotics. Antibiotics. <laughs> right. I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but um, I know that um, I have a friend from New York whose husband is a doctor on Long Island and he doesn't take insurance. He is doing a la carte. I think more and more doctors are doing that. Yeah. I, and I, it's I think interesting. part of it is related to burnout yeah. with the system because they're only allowed to spend 15 minutes with their patients and then they don't really get to properly treat things because they're not spending enough time getting to the bottom of it. But the other part of it is like, why get caught up in a system? I'm seeing more and more, particularly in the integrative medicine and functional medicine spaces, right? Yeah. None of that's covered by insurance because a lot of the treatments they prescribe are at the very least considered by the medical industry to be experimental or right. quote unquote alternative, which yeah. is definitely not always the case. But, you know, I, I see people just saying, well, what if we just charge people a couple thousand bucks a year and they knew they had access to our services? Yeah. You know, I mean, right. I think it makes sense if people can afford it. It's just also like, what's your baseline then? And like, are you going to be flexible for people who will have trouble paying you when they're also paying for health insurance? But yeah. it's part of a revolution that is happening yeah, in small ways. I think so. I, it's something drastic has to happen. Yeah. It's just not okay. No. Not if it's okay. I will say that um, you brought up a point about like the doctor seeing you for 15 minutes. Yeah. That I really that really bothers me a lot. But I will say my rheumatologist spends so much. I know everything about him. He knows everything about me. Same with my integrative endo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is like huge and we need more of that for sure. Especially when you have a chronic illness. Yeah. Like you have to feel like they really care about you. Yeah. And really know what you're going through. And give a damn. And give it. Yeah, for sure. And and part of that is getting to know people and, and really finding out who they are so that you can treat them. Not just with medicine, but also with, like, yeah. kindness. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, the bedside manner thing yeah. is a big deal. That's a huge thing. I love that he spends so much time with me. Mm, that's really great. You know? Very lucky you found him then. Very lucky. Yeah. He sounds great. His name is Gary Feldman, Gary Pacific Dr. Arthritis <laughs> in Los Angeles. Pacific Arthritis? Yeah. Okay. And so you travel to L.A. to see him. I do. Because mm-hmm. um, when you find someone you like, yeah, 
It's worth it to me to drive two hours. Yeah. Um, every eight weeks to see him. No, that's not too bad. No. Yeah. For sure. It's amazing. Yeah. So I like to wrap up my interviews with some top three lists. Okay. <laughs> way to make it fun. All right. And I, I know that you've obviously, you know, made lifestyle changes and stuff. What are your sort of cheats or, um, or what are your top three things that give you ultimate joy that you're not willing to compromise that maybe they look like a cheat. Maybe they look like a guilty pleasure or an indulgence. Are there top three things that you just, you won't give up or that make you feel great when you're having a flare? Mm. It's kind of a multifaceted question, but really like, what are your three favorite things? <laughs> My dogs. Okay. But see, that's huge. Cause we talk a lot about Pets really helping relieve a lot of the emotional stress of dealing with these illnesses. Definitely. Yeah. You know, they, um, they get me out of the house. Yeah. That's important. Like yeah. when you don't want to move mm-hmm. and they need you to. Yeah. Um, it, it really, I think it helps with depression. Mm-hmm. No question. And certainly depression can be its own diagnosis or very often circumstantial when it comes to these chronic illnesses. Right. And I think that it keeps me moving because we don't, we, I have to walk them. I don't have a yard. Yeah. Um, that they can just run around in. Yeah. So, um, so it's good that you don't because it gets you out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? My dogs. Um, I, I like to cook. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see my cake? No, I didn't uh, see your cake. I made a couple layer vanilla cake oh yesterday that I'm glad I didn't see it. <laughs> well, it was, uh, I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> But, um, well, you know, here's the thing is that for RA, there's been a lot of studies done. Mm. The only one that I can find from doing my articles that shows like the one food that everyone's like, oh, take turmeric, do this, do that. Mm. There's no, I haven't, from what I've written, there's no scientific proof that anything, nothing's going to cure RA right now. There's no cure. It's just food wise. Yeah. Um, but there is the one study that they say you need to stay away from sugar. Okay. For inflammation. So do you try to reduce sugar in your daily life? Yeah, I do. Right. Am I successful? No, I just made a cake yesterday. So, I mean. <laughs> but that's the other thing. It's also like moderation, isn't it? It's yeah. not like you just like cold turkey quit everything. Um, but it sounds like, you know, one of the things that gives you joy is having a cake once in a while. And yeah. damn straight. Yeah. I, I like food, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's something that. That's it gives me, yeah, it's important to me. And, yeah. um, am I going to, uh, live on a keto diet? Probably not. Mm. I mean, yeah, maybe I should, but yeah. Well, how you live your life is your choice too, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly, like I said, the gym before I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but the yeah, gym is the really gym. important to me again for mental, even if I just show up and I can't do much mm. and you know, I'm not very flexible. Um, yeah. there's a lot of things I can't do. Um, just showing up there every day. It is just really good for everything, I yeah. think. You know, like mind, body, yeah, everything. That's um, really great. Yeah. Are those like what you're asking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they're comfort good? activities. They're, they're yeah. things that give you joy, and that's important. What else gives me joy? Anything else? What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are yours? Three. three. Oh, okay. Am I, I've never thought about what mine are. Has anyone asked you? No, it's funny you say that because I'm having, for my last episode of the year, I'm having, or no, my... Yeah. No. First episode of the new year, my one year anniversary. Very cool. I'm having one of my best friends who's also been on the show who has rupus, oh. which is RA and lupus. Oh no. So she's got that yeah. and um, she's going to interview me 
because people said cool. they want to hear more about my story. But yeah, yeah, I, I want to hear my, your story. I mean, definitely, my cat's one of them. Yeah, right. See, cat. <laughs> like our pets yeah. are definitely, and like for me, having my parents nearby and being yes. able to call them and be a big baby. That's um, awesome. Like just having the people you can be a big baby with. Oh, I live with my mom, by the way. Oh, so there you go. Having yeah. Someone you can be a big baby right. with. <laughs> my dad passed away a few years ago right. and I was going back and forth from LA to the desert so much. Yeah. And I was just like, why am I, I you know, I'm just going to move in and yeah. take help, help out. And so. And it gives you joy to be around her. and she It really it. does. I mean, I spent most of my life living in different cities from my parents. Right. So. I'm the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's so nice when you actually become an adult, friends. see them as adults, yeah. see them as friends, and right. you're able to actually yeah. share space with them in a different way. Totally. But then also like when you have, I mean, like when I threw my back out a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, I was able to call my mom in total tears and she came over and she like spent a couple days and like tucked me into bed. That's all the time. awesome. I, I love know, that. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's really important. It's having those relationships, whether they're parental or yeah. otherwise. Like, right. That are make a huge difference in how you're able to take care of yourself because no question. I mean, you got to have somebody that gets it and yeah. and takes care of you. I mean, totally. There's no question about it. Well, that leads us into like my top three tips. Well, your top three tips for um, what you would recommend for someone who suspects they might have something off or they're living with an invisible illness. Would you say like get a dog? <laughs> yeah, get a get dog. a pet of some some sort. Um, I would like, say keep moving. Hmm. That is like crucial. Yeah. It, it's so easy to say, I can't do yeah. things. And the next thing you know, you're like a shut in. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, and then you can't, and then you, it gets worse and worse. Yeah. You so isolate. You isolate. I mean, definitely isolating. And, um, but it's so important for your body to move. Even if you have RA moving in some way. Mm-hmm. Like stretching or something. Whatever you can figure Gentle. out. Yeah. And and whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Right? So when yeah. you're feeling good, that's the time to do it because you just, it, it just, it's a, what do you call it? Like vital or? What's the thing where it's a snowball effect? Ah. <laughs> I was just like doing this thing with, with hands that was like, um, I don't know what that is. It's Dancing. Like a, a macarena? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a snowball, snowball effect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. So keep moving. Yeah. Have a dog. Have someone <laughs> that cares about you. Yeah. Um, and really, that sounds like also if you having someone who cares about you, that's also about communicating, right? Yeah. Communicating what you need and yeah, and not only being there for them as well, but also being able to be real with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like, I think there is a lot of fear in some of these groups I'm in. Mm. You got to tune out that. Yeah. Because uh, everybody's experience is different. I mean, I my experience with RA is completely different from everybody else's. There are some people that are doing way worse than I am. Yeah. There are people that are doing better than I am. Hmm. And there can be a lot of negativity in, in some of those things. One of my former guests yeah. called it symptom porn. Yeah, yeah, She's totally. Also, one of my best friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But she said that is you know, so crucial, man. Yeah, yeah. Some of that you do have to learn to tune that out. But it's the same thing as like not turning to Doctor Google and not going down the WebMD. Right. I mean, I definitely way. think there is strength in the community. Mm-hmm. Like, you, it's good to have people who understand what you're going through. Totally. But there can you can get into a real dark hole, and I don't think that's good for anybody. Yeah, you like, gotta get out. Yeah, get out and be positive as much like. as possible. Yeah, you know. Um, so that's, I guess, what I would that's say. Amazing. Well, yeah. Dibs, where can 
where can our listeners find you if they want to follow your work? Do you have a website that they can go to or do they find you? I mean, obviously we'll link to your articles. Yes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Amazing. At I got dibs bear. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> and it's B A E R bear. Yes. And then I have an Instagram account that is really immature. It's <laughs> dibstick, like dipstick, which I need to change to my real name. <laughs> you should make it the same as your Twitter. I should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It was you like, just change it. When Instagram first started up. Yeah. I, like, you know. It was very silly. I know. I, I look back on like some of those early posts that I did on my personal one and I was like, what, what was I even doing? Yeah. But now we realize that it has so much more influence and purpose. <sighs> and I should have a website because I'm a writer and I don't. <laughs> yeah, but you're working, so you don't need one. <laughs> <laughs> I really need one. Um, But then, you know, check out my book. Yep. Which is, when has that been released? October 1st. October 1st. Lady Tigers. In the Concrete Jungle. Amazing. It's about a girls softball team in the Bronx. Very uplifting, very inspiring. It sounds very a league of their own. It is, actually. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a really, it's a cool book. It's about, like, exciting. It's about, like, not letting your past dictate your future. Which really. is so relevant to all of us it in It is. Community. You know, it's like that there is always hope. Mm. You know? It's hard sometimes. Very, very difficult, but... You know, things that happen that are bad don't have to destroy your life necessarily. I mean, that's really the big over. So it does kind of tie in a little bit. Yeah, I think yeah. that, and that wraps us up really nicely. Okay, good. Well, Dibs, thank you so much for joining us. It's thank been you for having me. An absolute honor. To it's interview. been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.